You're listening to The Diplomats Podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, I'm your host, Ankit Panda from New York City. And this is Prashant Parmaswaran from Washington, D.C. How are you doing today, Prashant? Good. How are you doing? Doing well. It's good to be back with you as always. Uh, we, we took a little bit of a break of the podcast because of uh, right. some uh, unanticipated uh, illnesses on my part. I was pretty sick, so my voice wasn't too pleasant to listen to, but doing better now and uh, looking forward to joining you as always. Um, so for our listeners, I'll just lay out the topic that we've chosen today, um, which is something I think we've talked about on the podcast maybe a couple of years ago. Uh, it's hard to believe mm-hmm. that the podcast is almost uh, going on five years now. Um, but the topic I want to talk about today, Prashant, is um, these recent um, anti-Chinese protests that we've seen in Vietnam. Uh, these protests began a, uh, a couple weeks ago, just actually after the Trump-Kim summit, so uh, not really... Um, you know, they weren't really grabbing the top headlines um, in uh, in most of the Western media. But uh, for us at The Diplomat, you know, we watch Asia closely. So um, this obviously was quite notable. Um, protests took place across the country, Hanoi, Ho Chi Minh City, um, over a new draft law in Vietnam um, that would authorize special economic zones that would allow for long-term leasing of um, of land effectively on a, a 99-year leases. And, this, um, and the protesters, their primary grievances um, here had to do with the idea of Vietnam effectively selling out um, its sovereignty to China, um, and we can we can debate whether that's exactly what the draft law does, and and how you know how pertinent these risks are. But certainly, to some of our listeners, these perceptions will sound quite familiar. Um, Vietnam is not the first country where we've seen popular unrest around these issues. Uh, we saw protests earlier in in Sri Lanka. We've seen similar grievances elsewhere in Southeast Asia. Um, but, you know, Prashant, um, also, I mean, these aren't the first anti-Chinese protests in, in Vietnam. Uh, you know, we can talk about the 2014 uh, episode over over the South China Sea with the oil rig incident, uh, which was an, another pretty notable example. Um, but Prashant, you know, just focusing in on this episode, um, do you want to walk us through a bit of, uh, you know, what's really behind these protests? Where are they coming from? Where do these grievances really stem from in Vietnam? Sure, absolutely. And and I think, you know, the, the starting point that you provided there was very useful in terms of the fact that these protests actually broke out in the early part of June, but were actually initially kind of off the radar um, for most of the major uh, news outlets until they sort of got bigger and, and ballooned a little bit. And there started to be a number of violent incidents and, and arrests. And then they sort of bubbled up uh, to the surface and then they sort of made the, the big headlines. Um, I, I think you're 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 sort of right to place the the primary focus on anti-Chinese sentiment, right? Because you and I have talked about this in the context of other countries, um, and also on the South China Sea, for example. Um, this anti-Chinese sentiment in Vietnam is something that's very deeply rooted, right? It's you know the Chinese have effectively colonized Vietnam for about a thousand years. Um, in the older period, and even now, I mean, 40 years ago, these these countries were basically, you know, at war essentially, um, and they still have outstanding disputes on on the South China Sea, and those kind of bubble up uh, from time to time. The last time was um, the the sort of oil rig incident that you mentioned. So this is kind of a really deeply rooted sentiment. Um, I think these protests, in particular were on a particular slice of that sentiment, which is that the Vietnamese government has been trying to draw 
Chinese investment into Vietnam as part of Vietnam's effort at broader economic development. So Vietnam's one of you know, the most prosperous uh, Asian economies, actually. I mean, it, growth rate over the last decade has been over 6%. Um, so this is a country which is growing quite rapidly. But part of that, and an increasingly part of that, is due to China. But as they're trying to seek uh, more of these Chinese investment, um, the Vietnamese people are there's national uh, resent, nationalist resentment about the extent to which the Chinese are you know perceived to be taking over uh, Vietnamese territory, but there's also sentiment regarding at at, at the local level about uh, pollution, about harassment of fishermen, um, about environmental disasters that have happened because of the Chinese. So there really is a lot of pent up frustration um, regarding China. Um, I think one thing that I would I would flag that I think you suggested earlier on is that you know we we don't actually know to what degree this is only about China, right? right. One thing about Vietnam that is different uh, from some of the other countries that we've been covering is that um, you know there there are all kinds and ranges of um, opposition to the government that doesn't get covered by the state media as opposition to the government. It's sort of anti-Chinese protest, but there are also uh, protests and opposition with respect to the cybersecurity law that that they were passing. There was also frustration about local governance. So there's multiple layers to this. But I mean, uh, there definitely is sort of this deep uh, anti-Chinese sentiment that that you and I have been talking about before as well. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, I want to drill in a bit on the um, you know the economic relationship because you know um, China is a major uh, partner for Vietnam. Even though trade volumes did uh, dip a bit in 2017, they've been rising until 2016. Um, Vietnam is you know the, the poorest uh, country to participate in the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the Comprehensive and Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership now, mm -hmm. um, and it's certainly um, a country that is thinking quite actively about balancing China um, in in the region. And we see that with um, its military-to-military uh, -military diplomacy with uh, countries like the United. States, Japan, India, um, along along a range of issues, um, but you know the one of the things that I really you know think is worth digging into here is the effect to which um, the end to which these kinds of popular outbursts in Vietnam uh, that you know are are partly nationalistic, partly um, anti-government, um, as you correctly noted. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I wonder the extent to which these actually will end up moving the needle on on how Vietnam. Um, approaches China. In 2014, we sort of had the flip side um, a case study, right? I mean, uh, then we had a pretty acute cause and effect. We had the oil rig incident in the South China Sea raising, you know, fanning sort of nationalist sentiment in Vietnam over sovereignty issues. And that led to, you know, violence against Chinese businesses, ethnic Chinese in, in Vietnamese cities. And that actually led the Vietnamese government to, um, you know, take the issue of de-escalating that crisis with China more seriously at the time. Um, you know, instead of sort of further fanning those fears. So do you see um, a similar um, effects at play this time? Or, or do you think sort of some of the criticisms of the, of the government that are at play here make this more of a domestic issue for, for the Vietnamese government and they'll instead, you know, look to continue these arrests and continue to crack down? Yeah, I think I think that's a key question. Um, it, it's something that I, I think it's maybe too early to assess that right now, but we have seen some indicators about that moving the needle somewhat. I mean, the first is that these protests actually resulted in the vote um, in the National Assembly for this piece of legislation that we're talking about for special economic zones. That was actually delayed till October. Um, so there was some sign that these protests um, in effect, uh, represented for the government something that they needed to at least sort of let cool down. 
Um, there's also been a, a range of high-profile political officials that have come uh, to the fore and have spoken on state media to say, you know, sort of let's cool this thing down, let let's not be violent, and we take the needs and and the opinions of the Vietnamese people very seriously. And so you can sense that uh, the Vietnamese officials are quite jittery about how they're managing this. The issue for Vietnam, though, is that um, you know, as we've both been mentioning here. Um, the, the special economic zones that they're trying to set up, the reason why they're doing that is because they're trying to boost uh, economic growth. And that's been made diffic more difficult by the fact that you've had things like, you know, Vietnam trying to diversify and rely on the Trans-Pacific Partnership. But, you know, that hasn't quite panned out to the degree that uh, Vietnam wanted. So it's had to rely on, on the Chinese, I think, to more of a degree than it, than it wants. But, you know, there's there's these costs that they have to bear. I think one of the other interesting pieces to this is to what extent this affects how Vietnam treats the South China Sea issue or how it deals with China in other realms of the relationship. You know, the Vietnamese like to say that, you know, they're able to manage various aspects of the relationship with China very well and they're able to balance that. Um, but we've seen a number of incidents and you and I have written about this, you know, at The Diplomat and elsewhere. Um, you know, where the Vietnamese have come under great pressure um, from China on the South China Sea issue. And so balancing that sort of security uh, relationship or security tensions with the economic relationship is another aspect of this that I think is very difficult to manage. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And of course, um, you know, there you're probably referring to the uh, incidents earlier this year and last year over uh, hydrocarbon exploration and oil box mm -hmm. uh, in the um, disputed portions of their EEZs. Uh, for listeners that aren't aware, um, we have some pretty good evidence uh, through reporting done by uh, Bill Hayton, one of the sharpest um, South China Sea watchers out there, that uh, China directly pressured the Vietnamese government to uh, get Repsol, uh, the Spanish uh, oil company, to back off of a major um, exploration project in the South China Sea. Um, it's a it's a pretty um, sharp example of China using economic coercion to affect um, Vietnam's right to exploit its own economic zone in the in the South China Sea as it sees fit. Um, yeah, I think I think that's absolutely um, a valid point here too to see you know how how we see an interaction between these protests and how Vietnam behaves in the South China Sea. Um, but you know to go back to the actual core grievance here. Um, you know, we see these protests against uh, China effectively leasing land. And in some cases, you know, there are, I think, good reasons for um, local populations to be quite upset. Like the I think, you know, if we compare, you know, at the beginning of the podcast, I compared the Sri Lanka and the Vietnamese examples a little bit. But I think they're actually quite different in an important way, which is that in Sri Lanka, you actually have pretty good evidence that Chinese investments in Hamantota were predatory and mm -hmm. um you know, harmful for the community, harmful for the country. So those protests, when you look at them, uh, you know, clearly, you know, the cause and effect there makes sense. And I'm not trying to, you know, say that the Vietnamese protesters here don't have a point necessarily, but this more seems to me, you know, have to has to do with the perception among many of these protesters that Vietnam's political elites are effectively, you know, in, in China's pocket. They're selling out the country to China um, without even, you know, seeing what can come from this, right? I mean, uh, the Vietnamese government's position in defense of these, um, in defense of the draft law and, de and in defense of, you know, a prospective projects in these special economic zones would be that, yes, you know, these aren't going to be projects that end up putting Vietnam in a hole, but they'll actually be quite beneficial for us economically. So mm -hmm. that, I think, is an important difference that, uh, you know, we 
we don't really see as um, as as part of the discussion. I mean, really, what's at play here is is sort of nationalism, I think, and and sort of long brewing anti Chinese sentiment. Um, because you know these um, these special economic zones could be just as easily open to any other country in the region. It's just that China is the largest uh, actor and has the most capital to bear, so it's obviously going to be the primary concern for a lot of these protesters. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that's a really important point to note that the actual legislation, in fact, doesn't mention China even once. And it, in fact, doesn't mention any country um, because it's left open um, to whoever's interested in, in investing. And I, I think the other aspect that you, you mentioned is, is really important as well, because um, there really is uh, very little distinction um, in terms of how these protests play out, in terms of whether the grievances are you know, for example, um, in in some of these incidents, in, in Bintuan, for example, which was a major hotbed of these protests, um, there are very specific examples of industrial pollution and land disputes that are related to what the Chinese are doing. But um, it, it, it's unclear, and sometimes it can be conflated, whether uh, the, the protesters are actually angrier at the Chinese for what they're doing or they're angrier at the local government and the Vietnamese government for actually allowing the Chinese to do uh, what they're doing as well. So so there is that sort of uh, line that is not really that clear in this case. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, one last thing before uh, before we wrap up uh, the discussion mm-hmm. is, um, you know, I wonder about the counterfactual scenario where, um, you know, a Vietnamese uh, a nationalism and anti-Chinese sentiment today in 2018 would be at a much lower level, I think, if the whole 2014 incident didn't happen with the oil rig. I think that was actually quite an important development that I think has sort of sewn in this um, anti-Chinese sentiment. So to the extent that the grievances have to do with um, concerns specifically about China, um, I think it's interesting that, you know, China's sort of heavy-handed behavior in the South China Sea has sort of fed back and created this uh, issue now where further attempts at um, economic cooperation with uh, Southeast Asian countries are going to be beset by this kind of sentiment. I, you know, I don't think this is the last time we're going to see this happen. Um, and I don't think Vietnam's the only country uh, where we're going to see this kind of sentiment come to play. No, no, I think you're absolutely right. And I think the unfortunate thing as well is that, you know, China is not only affecting these countries, but you see these um, unintended effects as well, right? Like, so during the oil rig incident, for example, it was not just Chinese firms that were affected, it was Taiwanese firms too. And and in this case, you know, with the protests, um, it was not only Chinese plants and factories that closed down, it was also Taiwanese factories and, that closed down because there was confusion as to whether they were Chinese or Taiwanese too. So there is that, there is that sort of, um, element as well there that um, you have unintended effects on other aspects of development. Yeah, I guess that's sort of a perverse way for the protesters to hold to a hold to the one China principle. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I think uh, you know I think this is uh, something we'll want to keep an eye on though. Um, you know, mm-hmm. not a lot of people have been talking about it this month, just given uh, other hotline issues. Um, but this is um, I think you know one of those issues that is going to rear its head again and, and is going to be quite significant uh, in the in the geopolitics of the region. Absolutely. All right, Prashant. Well, thanks a lot for uh, joining me today. Good to be with you. Absolutely. Um, and so the podcast will probably take a short hiatus uh, just for our listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm actually going to be in South Korea for a couple of weeks to uh, listen to what actual Koreans have to say about the Singapore summit and the Panmunjom summit in April and the process of implementation there. So I'm hope, I'll be hoping to share some impressions from my trip when I return. Um, but in the meantime, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do so, so you can uh, keep up with future episodes when they come out. And if you have subscribed for a while but you haven't left us a review yet, please do so as well. It really helps get the word out about the show. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll be back soon.